If you have been with us for the past few weeks, you might be getting depressed. We have talked a lot about sin. We have talked a lot about uh, the nation of Israel and the split and the, the, the kind of the, not kind of, but the, the sinful nature that inhabits us and the ways that we have really messed it up. And it's funny because, well, not really funny. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because the pastors are feeling this too. So we're in the narrative lectionary. We're going through this. We're getting ready for, for Christmas. Um, and uh, Pastor Dean and I both belong to a couple of, of chat groups that discuss the narrative lectionary week in and week out. And the number of people, the number of pastors that are posting about the narrative lectionary that this is getting really bad. How many times can I say that we're sinful? And, and, and still keep people in the pews is getting, getting kind of tentative here. So even us as pastors, we are, are feeling the, the, the difficulty of the message. That being said, there's something to be said for repeating a message and having to say it the same way over and over and over again. DeForest Kelly was, of course, the actor who played Dr. McCoy in the original series of Star Trek. And one of the Dr. McCoy's famous lines is, he's dead, Jim. In one of the, the anniversary specials, DeForest Kelly said he was struggling with how many times and how many different ways he could say, he's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Jim, he's dead. Because after a while, we can just kind of hear the message and not really hear the message. Mr. Rogers finished each and every one of his episodes with uh, your special, and you made today special by you just, uh, just by being you, something along those lines. And um, Francois Clemens, uh, who played Officer Clemens, uh, was on the set the one day. And he noticed as Fred was finishing the episode, and speaking those lines, and, and he made eye contact. Uh, Fred made eye contact with Francois Clemens, as he did. And, and after the episode, Francois came up to, to Fred Rogers and said, Fred, were you saying that just to me? And Fred Rogers, in the, the way Mr. Rogers can looked at Francois Clemens and said, I've been saying it, Francois. You just finally heard me today. Sometimes we need to hear the message over and over and over again. And today we're going to put a little meat on the bones of why we need to hear the message of our sinfulness and our brokenness so many times. And part of that has to do that with the fact that we need a vision for the future. But in order to understand that we need this vision for the future, we need to understand two things. Uh, the, one, that the bad is far worse than we thought. The bad is far worse than we thought, but the good is far better than we could imagine. So we need a vision for the future. 
And that means that the bad is worse than we thought, and the good is far better than we could imagine. Let me invite you to open your Bibles up to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is uh, the second of the major prophets. Uh, So if you go to Isaiah, and then it's Jeremiah. So we're after the Psalms, but not quite into the minor prophets or the uh, the New Testament yet. We're going to be in Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah is sometimes called the weeping prophet, sometimes called the whiny prophet um, because of the number of things that he just kind of says, oh, they're doing this, Lord. Um, But I have found Jeremiah to be uh, the realistic prophet because he understands both our situation and the reality of God. So we're going to be in Isaiah 33. We're going to be in verses 10 and 11, then we're going to skip two verses, and then we're going to go uh, 12, uh, excuse me, no, uh, we are going to be in uh, 14 through 18. So, let's listen to God's Word. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it's a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord." And then down into verse 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of Israel, nor will the Levitical priests ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. This is God's Word to us today. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach Your Word again... We can be confused by the words of the Old Testament. We, they're, they're not words that we delve into too often. We see them reflected in the New Testament, but often we don't go to study them. But in the words of your prophets, in the words of the historians of those days, we find such a beautiful vision of you and of your promise for this world. Show us through this word who you are and who you mean us to be. Show us how we can live in light of the coming realities that you have for us and instill within us an unquenchable hope. Lord, during this time, speak. For you have the very words of eternal life. I, on the other hand, O God... My words are just a vapor in the wind, meaning nothing. 
So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as we approach the the text for today, I know, uh, as I've said, it's hard to preach the same difficult message over and over again. It's hard to say, you know, that the bad is bad and it's actually worse than we think it is. After a while, we can become kind of numb to that thought, but here's the thing. If we didn't have millennia of history, and if we didn't have the words of the Old Testament, if we didn't have hundreds of years of Israel trying to achieve this on their own, we might be tempted to think that we can do it ourselves. Each generation rises up, and we look at the older generations, and we critique them, and we say, I can do that better. I can build a better this, I can build a better that, and, and, and we have this tendency to think that, that we can deliver what prior generations have not. Each generation goes through this, and by the way, each generation goes through the thought that the younger generation is just going to let it all fall apart. We actually have a written correspondence uh, from the Silk Road back in the, I think it's in the 1300s, where an older generation person was writing and complaining about these kids and how they're going to mess it up. We go through these cycles, and if we didn't have our history, if we didn't have, like I said, the millennia of history... And the written records of our of our the 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 mothers and fathers of the faith who were not able to fulfill their end of the covenant, we would be tempted to think that we can do it on our own. And, and that's that's part of the reason why we need to sit in the Old Testament, and that's part of the reason why we need to to sit in in the idea that we cannot achieve on our own, our own righteousness, our own goodness, the, the, the promise of a future that is better, a, the promise of a future that is secure and fair and free and just and, and all those things that we want it to be, but that we need to hear that we are unable to achieve it on our own. It's very interesting because uh, Jeremiah in this section is giving this vision of a future that God has promised to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. He is giving this this image of a future that is full of abundance and full of plenty and, and, and that is in the place where they were promised to have it. But in just a couple of chapters, nay, a couple of paragraphs, Jeremiah is going to get thrown into prison He's going to be persecuted because he also has to deliver the message that, guess what? You messed it up, and judgment is coming. And the people said, well, we like that whole, you know, bountiful future and and so on and so forth. We like that message, Jeremiah, but this whole message that the king of Babylon is coming and that we're going to be overrun, we can't deal with that, and so we're going to put you in prison. It's kind of a paraphrase, but not actually farther than you might think. And we think, well, maybe we're, we're 
not like that. We, we can hear the hard things. But we're no different than the people of Judah were. We struggle with that idea that we are limited. We are struggle with the idea that we have consequences. You know, we tell ourselves and we tell our children that they can be anything. I remember very distinctly, and perhaps maybe you do too, sitting in elementary school, and you too can be the president of the United States. You can do anything you want if you just put your mind to it. Yes? Did you have that message? Now, I had in my prior conversation, uh, congregation, I had a, a woman uh, named Mary, and Mary was very aware of her height, and she said, no matter how much I pray, I never get any taller. I am still waiting on my NHL career. We, we say these things, but we are naturally limited. We are, by definition, creatures. We are created things, and created things have limits. We have physical limits. We have intellectual limits. We have emotional limits. We have spiritual limits. We are created. We are, we are defined. And so we, we don't have things that we could do. There are some things that you would never want me to do. You probably don't want me to, to engineer something because I'm just not trained in that. If Katie were here, you would t- uh, here she would tell you you don't want her doing her, your taxes. There are some people that just are not designed for some things. And perhaps you know what those things are in your life. You can feel the limits and you say, you know what, I can be anything, but I cannot be that. We tell ourselves that thing, those things. We tell our kids those things. You can be anything you want. We listen to our hearts, our our culture is very much into listening to our hearts and listening to ourselves, but the reality is our hearts deceive us on the regular, don't they? Our hearts tell us that we want this, our hearts tell us that we want that. At this time of year, our hearts, maybe it's our stomachs, tell us that we want to eat our way through the candy aisle. Or we are looking forward to the next big meal because uh, the family traditions, perhaps you look forward to the green bean casserole or you look forward to, the, to mom or grandma's cookies or you look forward to something. Perhaps you think that those are fulfilling and those are great. And they are for a moment, but they don't ultimately satisfy. Those are low uh, kind of ideas, but we think about it in terms of our our careers and our what we want to do with our lives as well. Just follow your heart is the advice that we give too many times to people. But we find out that our heart one day wants to do this, and then our heart the next day wants to do that, and where are we to land? We, we give ourselves these kind of... <clears throat> these kind of statements so that we can make sense of the world and so that we can provide hope for ourselves from a sense of hopelessness. 
And we constantly struggle with the scarcity of our world, even as we have abundance in some areas. As Pastor Dina has pointed out to the kids so many times, we can go down the... We can go down the aisle at the grocery store and find 438 different types of pickle. And then we go home and we say, I have nothing to eat. To cupboards that are full. We struggle with these things, even as we have an abundance and even as parts of our world have so little. So the question becomes, how do we want to go about this life? How do we, how do we make sense of this life? How do, we, how do we make sense of the difficulty of our being? Because it can seem very hopeless at times. Not all the time. But as we struggle through life, we wonder, when are we actually going to get it right? When are we actually going to elect the right person who's going to provide stability? Or who, when are we going to get the right people in, in, uh, in jobs that will just make the company run the way it's supposed to? When are we supposed to do the, when are these things going to occur? We feel like it should be just around the corner, and yet it always eludes us. The better life, the better society, the better world always seems to elude us. So how do we go about this life? How do we go about seeking a better world? Do we go out on our own and, and, and fight it out and try to, try to figure it out on our own? Like I said, we have done that. We have tried time and time again. We think, uh, C.S. Lewis used a phrase that I like to bring up every once in a while, because Lewis is much smarter than I am, um, which is chronological snobbery, that we suffer from chronological snobbery, thinking that, that just because we're modern, just because we live in the here and the now, on, on the, the, the spear's tip of history, that we have a better view of things. We think that, that, well, the ancients really didn't understand what a good world looked like. They, they, they oppressed people, and there was war, and there, was, there were people taking advantage of people all over the place. And yet, the, in the ancient world, the ideal king was one that served the people, that took care of the poor, that looked after the fatherless, and who cared for the marginalized. That was the ideal ancient king. huh, wait, so we've had this idea for four or 5,000 years and we haven't figured it out yet? We could go ahead and go and try to keep doing that. But let me suggest that it's not going to work. We have a bit of a history now, the track record that I would feel comfortable betting against. Or is there a different way? Is it true that the bad is worse than we thought, that we cannot get out of our situation, out of our sin, out of our poverty of life and soul, out of the difficulties of this world on our own? That on our own, that is, an indeed, that is indeed a hopeless endeavor. 
that's true, then the bad is worse than we thought. We don't just need help. We need someone to rescue us. Like I said, or is there a different way? The other side of that, that equation is that the, the good is far better than we could imagine. Like I said, when we fight for a better future, there's always another fight on the other side. Whether that's a political fight, a religious fight, an economic fight, whatever it is, we achieve one thing and then it's off to the next because there's always something in our way to a better future. But let me ask you this. What would a future in which we didn't have to fight, but we could survive, not just survive, but thrive and cultivate and create look like? What would that look like? Jeremiah starts to give us a picture of this throughout his vision to the people of Judah. And while, yes, an entire flock of sheep might not be your idea of a good future, let's just deal with the reality of that, it's culture-bound. That that idea is culture-bound. But as, as we look at Jeremiah's vision for the future, notice what he says in this, that Jerusalem and Judah are desolate. They are being laid waste. I said that right this week. They are being laid waste by the Babylonian army. And the Babylonian army, as as they went through, they would also destroy the land so that no one could come in and resettle it. So that the people who were left had a really hard go of it. And they wouldn't be able to rise up against Babylon. So notice what... Jeremiah says that that the Lord says, say about this place, it's a desolate waste without people or animals, yet in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither uh, people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sound of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before. Jeremiah talks about a future in which the next struggle is not around the corner. That, that's, a hard, that's a hard thought for us to, to understand. I think perhaps those who have had some sort of addiction, some sort of, of major difficulty, whether it's credit card debt that was insurmountable or whether it was whatever, ha- actually have a better understanding of Jeremiah's vision than, than some of us who have not had those difficulties. Because imagine it, for someone who is buried in credit card debt, that life after that final payment is, is, a, is a bit of a non-reality. Or educational debt. 400 years of debt service to your liberal arts degree. I say that, I got a liberal arts degree. I have an English degree. Life without that next drink for 
the, the alcoholic. Life beyond that final bit of anxiety for the person who struggles with, with, with anxiety, with, with mental health issues. Th- those are non-realities, and yet Jeremiah talks about this. He talks about, imagine the life where, where there is joy. I- imagine a life where you don't have to say, my day was pretty good. But there was this and this. Imagine a life where, where you come back from work and say, how was work? And say, it was good. I did what I set out to accomplish. And my work has meaning and purpose. And it's fulfilling. And I look forward to doing it again tomorrow. A, a world in which relationships aren't fraught with difficulty, relationships aren't fraught with brokenness. How was the time with your time with your family over Thanksgiving? We all go, oh. And we laugh about those things, but it's true because we have those moments where we're afraid that someone's going to say something. What would those moments be like with no fear but harmonious relationships. Those are almost unfathomable. Uh, Almost, uh, I would venture to say, probably everyone in here deals with some sort of fracturedness in your family. If you don't, bless you. That's a gift. But whether it's estrangement from a, from a sibling or whether it's estrangement from a, from a father or a mother or a step-parent or, or, or whether it's a, a child who has gone uh, wayward or whatever, it, there is a, a, an amount of, of frustration and difficulty. And, and Jeremiah here is saying, imagine the world in which those things don't exist. How would we even interact? What would our conversation be like if we didn't have to talk about crazy Uncle Bill? Because that occupies two-thirds of our family dynamics. You you see, the, the future that Jeremiah posits is one that is far better than we could imagine. Because when we imagine the goodness of God, when we imagine restoration, we, we can think to, the, to just kind of that immediate need that we have in our lives, whether it's the immediate brokenness or whatnot. But God is looking at a full restoration in which what would I do if the relationships were good and the work was good? What would I talk about? What, what would I I be? Who would I be? And worship were something of great joy. Even our worship, even our, our best attempts to connect with the holy, to connect with God, are fraught with those difficulties. What would it be like uninhibited, unhindered worship of God? That's a life better than we can imagine. And that's what Jeremiah talks about here. 
He gives us something to live for. He gives us a land of plenty, a land of justice, a land of joy. Talking to, I remember um, growing up, talking to uh, grandparents and talking about those days when they, they could remember that they could leave their doors unlocked at night. When there was no fear of the kids being out and playing after dark. When everyone knew each other, when, when we were on the front porches and we, we, we had lemonade together on the porches and the life was something better. What if there's, there's something like that but, but even more? That's the vision that Jeremiah gives. That's the hope of the Messiah. That's the hope of the Savior, not a simple correction. It's more than we could possibly fathom. It's more than fits into a sermon. It's more than fits into a lifetime. It is more than fits into our imagination. It is a world that is above and beyond, far greater than we could ask or imagine. Because God is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. So let me ask you this question. We've talked about the world in general about these things. We've talked a little bit about family and what that would look like. But what would you look like? What would you look like if you were free to relate, free to create, free to know and be known by God? What would you look like? What would you be? Who has God created you to be? And the pain and the difficulty, and the brokenness, and the anxiety, and the fallenness of this world have caused you to lose. What would you look like if you were free to relate, free to create, free to know and be known by God? Perhaps that's a question that could, could engage our imagination for days and weeks to come. But it's the, the, the question that is also encapsulated in the Christmas spirit. It, it is the question that, that is there beneath O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. What does it look like in the rejoice? We need a vision for the future, something that propels us, a world that engages and captivates our imagination and one that we have lost because of our brokenness. Let that be our thought, and let that be our question this week.
Let's pray. Lord, you have created us for good. You have created us to be in a world that sustains sustains life and causes it to thrive. You have, been in a, you have created a world where work is to be meaningful and purposeful and wonderful. You have created a world where in relationships were meant to be fulfilling and wonderful and joyful and that our relationship with you was to be direct, free of fear characterized by deep, deep love. Help us to consider what that world looks like and to live in the, the shadow of its reality. A shadow that was cast by the birth of your son, Jesus, and that continues on. Lord, help us to see the world as you have created us. Help us not to be weighed down by the the sin, but to let it remind us of how good your good news is. Lord, thank you that you have given us this word. And we pray that we would live it out and offer this hope to others. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.